all have the same idea. Exactly. Is that Maddie online as well? Yeah. Hello. Hello. Very excited. Welcome to our second panel for the Colgate Creative Hub <laughs> on the topic of mid-post-COVID arts practice and producing. I'm Jen Lays. I'm a producer with Performing Minds WA. I would like to start by acknowledging the first peoples of this land from whose wisdom and generosity we are constantly learning. Where we are and the history that precedes us informs how we work and how we move forward. So I would like to pay my respects to the traditional owners of the land on which we are gathered, the Wajak people of the Noongar Nation and their elders past, present and emerging. Uh, this is a generous, flexible and self-driven space. So we really encourage you to offer, initiate, lead, as well as give permission to listen and rest as we all process information and communicate differently. The Colgan Creative Hub seeks to foster a culture of flexible listening and space, consideration of the language used for understanding and generosity. So we're asking everyone to consider this in their offerings today as part of this conversation. This panel is being audio recorded to share for public access, so I hope that's okay. Um, and let us know if you have any concerns. Um, we have embraced the word clunky during this hub, which I'm loving, uh, as I feel that clunky is needed when the motivation is to have meaningful discussion and investigation. I am new to panel hosting, so I'm going to thank you in advance for bearing with me, lovely panel speakers. Um, but luckily, I'm just here to facilitate conversation amongst an amazing panel of speakers to an audience made up from such an exciting artist cohort, uh, passionate organisations and excellent public sign-ups. So, to get us underway, the description for today's conversation. After the chaos and unravelling of last year, here we are, in a changed world and context, still making performing arts. The COVID fallout has triggered devastating cancellations and unemployment at its worst, and game-changing local presentation opportunities at its best. What has worked and what hasn't? What have we learnt about how best to practice and produce relevant, resonant, resourceful works as we step into the next phase of an ongoing pandemic? To discuss current context and future imaginings on this topic, we have four great guest speakers with us today, whose various perspectives represent multiple layers within the ecosystem that is our sector. So to introduce our Zoom panellists to start with, uh, we have Dahlia Pigram, artistic co-director, choreographer and dancer of Marageku, a Yawuru Bardi woman born and raised in Broome. She is a founding member of Marageku and co-divisor on all Marageku productions alongside Rachel Swain. Dahlia's solo work, Guda Gudia, premiered in 2013 and toured extensively, earning multiple awards. Dahlia co-curated Marageku's four international Indigenous choreographic labs, and teaches Yawuru language, arts and culture at Cable Beach Primary School in Broome. We also have Madeline Flynn joining us from Melbourne. She's an independent sound artist, a leading Australian audio conceptual artist who creates unexpected situations for listening and has 
long-term collaborative practice with her co-collaborator, Tim Humphrey. Their work is driven by a curiosity and questioning about listening in human culture and seeks to evolve and engage with new processes and audiences through public and participative interventions. Their highly awarded practice intertwines local, national and international relationships. And then to introduce the two panellists in person that we have here. Uh, Ian Grandage, Artistic Director of Perth Festival. And Marty Cunningham, the Director of Investment, Research and Policy at the Department of Local Government, Sports and Cultural Industries. <laughs> Both of these lovely humans are established artists and practitioners now leading the charge and making decisions within their organisational structures. Thank you all for being here. So the way we're going to sort of structure this chat is I gave uh, three questions to the panellists to consider. Uh, and to start off with, we're going to talk about question one, but we're going to go through each speaker individually as they respond to the question. Uh, the question being, what have been some of the learnings and new initiatives or ways of working sparked out of this new context for your arts practice or organisation? Ian, I was going to pass to you first. You lucky duck. That's okay. <laughs> uh, if you'd like me to go first, I'm, I'm thrilled to. Uh, <clears throat> I think that COVID is an accelerator of um, a moment in time that was happening organically. Um, that accelerator is an investment in place, stories of place, connection and community, and that's not in um, opposition to, but it's a changing of gravity away from uh, uh, this sense of, glo of uh, globalism and the fact that uh, of historical art forms that would tour around the world and come in and show what, uh, what human aspiration might look like in a global sense. And they're, they're, those two are not mutually exclusive and there's a, a vast amount of overlap inside how telling local stories still maintains an aspiration how telling local stories still maintains a sense of universality in terms of humanity and community and those aspects, but fundamentally we're talking about the earth beneath our feet and that's why I'm nervous about being the first person to speak here um, uh, in the presence of Dahlia, uh, specifically. So, Kaya uh, and here we are on the Nambuja, the country we know and love, participating in ceremony and performance that's been here for millennia. We can't change that and we need to consistently and profoundly listen to the people who have been offering what it is to listen to country in every instance um, and have been telling those stories for so long and asking for us non-Indigenous people to listen. And the moment for listening is here and it happens to have come at the same time that a global pandemic has insisted that we do stay here too. There is immense sorrow, there is immense sacrifice, there is immense uh, breaking of uh, humanity that's inside uh, COVID, that's inside a global pandemic in terms of the, the death that has happened inside there, in terms of being removed from your loved ones for those people who had loved ones 
scattered around the globe for that presumption that we could always get to those people who we love when we wanted to, means permitting uh, in, in a global sense and where, and therefore our diaspora of close loved family is much further than it might be. And, and, and those are the things that we need to find a way of processing in terms of what that means to be part of a global community. But the upside inside all of this is the fact that the thing that's been amplified, the fuel that's gone on the fire, the, the thing that has allowed us here to feel more profoundly connected than ever is because there is that continued just generosity here on Wajaknamabuja across the state and across the country that those stories are still being offered for us to listen to. Um, and for me, in terms of that part of the practice that's here, but also all of the artistry that comes from the people in this room and those listening elsewhere, those stories are here to be heard because those are the things that create empathy. Those are the things that create the ties that bind us all. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, just so you know, we, in order for uh, Dalia and Maddie to hear us, we need to be speaking in a microphone. So when we come to question time, um, we'll make sure that we have a microphone for the question so that can hear you. Thank you uh, for starting. Dalia, I would you would you be happy to speak? I thought we could sort of swap between in person and on Zoom, uh, if if that works. So if if you would be happy to speak next to question one, we'd love to hear from you. No problem. Um, I firstly also would like to acknowledge that I'm on my country, so Yarramatwuru, here in Broome, in my classroom where I teach Yarri language. Um, and I pay my respects to uh, all of the elders past, present and emerging from this country, but also um, all the way down south where you are right now in Wajakmunga Buja. And I um, pay my respects to your old people that you might bring into the room with you, your, your ancestors, your, the script things that might follow you. Um, and I pay respect to all people's culture. Um, I'm privileged to join you today and um, I guess thinking about, you know, uh, from, a, from, a, from Marageki's point of view, we, we kind of had a bit of an um, identity crisis with this pandemic because we rely on crossing borders, we rely on intercultural, um, the intercultural nature of our, our process and of making performance together, uh, both non-Indigenous and Indigenous people sharing the story together to um, give voice to uh, especially uh, Aboriginal ways of knowing and being. Um, and the pandemic kind of put a little bit of a pause on the, um, us being together in person, but uh, we had to think out the outside the box and um, think about how we were going to manage um, productions that were about to be premiered in, in 2020, uh, productions that were too important to put on the burner, productions that speak about incarceration of our people and of refugees on um, islands. Uh, and I'm proud to say that we've 
even though we've had like version 30 of 2021, we managed to find ways um, working through all the restrictions that the pandemic have, have put in place uh, to finally come together at very small but very, very special moments to um, celebrate the artists that have, that have um, committed themselves to the work, committed themselves to um, the process uh, and hung in there to, to get it across the line and we've just had our preview of, of um, Dudalunganga, uh, Straight Talk here in Broome, um, which also made me very proud that we are committed to bringing productions back to the places that they come out of. So if anything, I think what what this um, pandemic has taught us is it's given clarity on on all those things that have made sense to us, the, the, the commitment to regional and remote areas to share those stories back to communities that um, that stories are drawn from, um, while also trying to um, give access to them um, across the world and uh, nationally. Um, and then also looking at uh, how we can maximise things like Good Air Good Air have been turned into video installation for, for the National, um, which I think is still playing at Carriageworks, maybe in its last weeks. Um, and just goes to show how we can find ways to keep the legacy of, of productions like that that look at, <coughs> you know, experience of, Aboriginal people's experience of, of the, um, the issues that are going on for us uh, day in, day out. And I think the pandemic, when it first um, came about, it was, I think everyone was getting a bit of a taste of what uh, First Nations people have had for generations of this um, constant being told where and when they can be anywhere and um, where they can travel, where they can't travel, who they can travel to see, who they can't. Like all those things have governed our lives, um, you know, in past policies for forever since colonisation. So it's um, it's interesting to kind of for other people to feel a bit of what that's like um, and and how to manage how to manage education, how to manage, you know, making productions and how to manage festivals and what is the use of it all? What, what, what are, what's the purpose of, of, of it all if, if we don't have each other to share it with? Um, I don't even know if I answered the question now, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's all good. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you very much, Dahlia, for sharing. Um, Madeline, would you would you like to speak next on on Zoom? Should we sort of do that again and then and then I'll pass to yeah. Marty. Um, hi, hi, my name's Kim. Hi, everyone. I'm really really honoured to be here, um, and I'm speaking to you from the land of the Wurundjeri people, the Kulin Nation, here in Nam, in Melbourne. Um, I'm speaking to you from my study, which is next to the bathroom, which, like, you know, maybe somebody's going to have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> um, and uh, just uh, in terms of trying to trying to bring something to this question, I, I first of all, I really respond to what both Ian and Dahlia have said um, and feel a lot of um, connection with those um, with many of the things that both of you said. Um, I think 
Um, learning's an issue in new ways of working. I think probably I'm going to repeat some of the things that you both said too, but I think um, for me and Tim and our communities, um, there, there was a sort of um, something about stripping away and making, making like the bones of things being revealed and, um, and those, those bones being strong things about um, relationships and values um, and connections with people. I mean, sort of, you know, the, the pragmatic story of what's happened for us is that within about two weeks, we've lost like 14 months of work. Um, and, and in the way that we were working, which was not sustainable in any sense, um, that meant that we would be in many different parts of the world doing many different things. So I think that's what I mean when, um, you know, that, that as Ian said, the, the reveal of the problems that were already there. Um, and I can't, I can't ignore it anymore. Um, so that, that was definitely something that's happened for us. And uh, the, I guess, new ways of working, it's been interesting, like, I, because of being an artist who worked with technology anyway, um, I had already spent quite a bit of my life on Zoom. Um, and um, so in some ways that was, like, that was a familiar space. And already having made some works online, it was already a familiar space. It was just a part of the texture of practice. Um, so in that way, it didn't feel it wasn't a, 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 there wasn't fear involved in that for me and other people. And I, and I suppose part of what we tried to do was to bring other people into that as quickly as we could as well. Um, you know, and I, I know, like, I wish I could see your faces out there in that room because I know that there's so many people from um, from WA. Um, who were really key in part of creating community over that time, virtual online communities and physical communities for those to be. Um, what is this new context? You know what I'm worried about? I'm worried about that this new context is the window for change is closing too quick. That's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about some sort of return to some, some sort of normal behaviour in our, well, in the art sector, but also in bigger ways, um, um, about a, a return to going, the values in which we've had, they're the ones that we need to go back to. Or there's some, I'm, I'm concerned about that, I'm, and I'd really, be, I'd really like to be able to talk about that more yeah. together. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, very specifically, uh, I, 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 Tim and I would absolutely not be still here if we had artistic family and um, a key part of that artistic family, Ian, facilitated and worked with us. Like we made something, a, a new process and a new work together with a whole crew who were in WA and who we haven't met um, and who made a beautiful work. Um, and so that's like, that's something I'd be totally up for talking about more specifically about what we might have learned and but but fundamentally it's only it's based on trust. That's it. Like yeah, that, that's that's what it is. Um, okay. Lots of other things to say but then there's nothing else. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Maddie.
Hi, Jen, and uh, thank you very much for having us. It's, um, I'd like to also you know, acknowledge the Roger Butcher and, um, and really pay those respects to you know, all the elders across all our lands where we're meeting today. Um, but also just really, you know, really honoured to be here with, you know, such a scene panellists, you know, both in person and online. And, you know, some of those themes, you know, I think are, are really quite amazing that have already come through. Um, and there are a couple of starting themes which, you know, when, when trying to think of, you know, this last, you know, year and a half, um, which, which came to mind, which, which I hope sort of reflect, you know, some, some of that. Uh, but from a you know from a very different perspective of you know how how you elicit you know that change within uh, monolithical organisations you know and, uh, and and within a government setting. So you know the the first one was around and with each of these things too, it also sort of gives gives rise to some of the some of the limitations as well. And I think I think you know clunky, interesting word that you brought up earlier and clunkiness and you know but but also having to work through that clunkiness where, where you find it. And and really and, and you know to uh, avoid sounding to the cliche, you know, sort of uh, you know kind of the key themes around you know resilience that to adaptability and, uh, and and connection. That um, you know resilience, the just the the phenomenal resilience that we've seen so far, you know, um, you know within the sector you know, um, to be able to find, you know, these new ways towards production. And I think, you know, your point seen around you know, bringing those stories back to the local has been, you know, quite phenomenal to see them and be part of them, being able to support in whichever way. Um, but also recognising, you know, the limits of that resilience. Because it comes down to, uh, you know, the personal impact as well. And so constantly finding you know, trying to find ways to ensure that individuals and organisations can be supported, you know, through that as much as possible. Um, similarly too with adaptability, you know, the, uh, both in sector and programs. You know, so we've seen, you know, we saw, we saw Perth Festival, you know, kind of turn on a dime and reschedule a whole festival this year, and, you know, within a week, uh, to put it two weeks back. Um, and so knowing some of the work behind that, of course, was you know just incredibly phenomenal in terms Sorry. of logistics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rachel Woodworth just did a big five yeah. in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's, it's interesting because you know people, of course, you know they they they, they see those uh, you know they see that those adaptations and, and you know see the amazing work to get it there. But of course, you know all the individuals involved. In, in doing it and, and having to draw on their own resilience and having to do it as well as the organisation's resilience is, uh, is, is really something which you know, we've, we've uh, you know, really tried to keep in mind you know, all the way through this in whichever way we can support. Um, and and adapting, adapting programs, you know, um, and this I think is, you know, this has been the really you know, interesting challenge you know, for us as a, as a funder and a supporter of practice. You know, so the initial response, you know, so the, we managed we managed to get a very you know quick response from funded organisations around the immediate impact impact of cancellation, you know, impact around their ongoing programs. We sort of uh, we put that word out uh, sort of at the at the start of March last year, and we had a response within you know within a week or so. 
which, which helped lead to you know, the establishment of a, a program with Lottery West to, to cover some of those cancellation costs and to build some, you know, some resilience, which you know, we then have, have seen sort of flow through into a lot of different programs and a lot of different approaches to being able to present work and continue to present work. Um, and, and overall, there was a, so a number of things in that initial package, but around about sort of 22.4 million uh, in, in support uh, in that initial package. And some, some of that, of course, was, was uh, you know, repurpose money, you know, trying to find ways to be able to provide it in a way which, you know, didn't have uh, as, as, you know, as much of a barrier to it that we could, we could you know, hopefully, you know, sort of uh, manage and, and work with. Um, so a, a, a good example of that was our, our under-15K program, which um, everyone's probably well aware of, you know, supports a lot of projects and does it on a very quick, you know, turnaround. So as part of that uh, program, we've managed to put sort of a 2.3 million out in the last year. Um, so that's around about sort of 880,000, probably more than what we would normally see over that period. Um, now a lot of that, a lot of that support, uh, we we fundamentally, you know, wanted to ensure was going to you know to individuals and groups to enable them to just be able to keep doing their practice, but also too it, it, it highlighted one of the fundamental challenges is a you know a, a funding framework uh, you know nineteenth century funding framework which is based around activity when there's that fundamental challenge around activity even being able to happen um, and so. Of course, that starts to raise a lot of questions, which we'll you know, imagine move to in the, in the next next part of the conversation about you know where programs like that potentially you know need to move and adapt and change um, beyond the limits of just how far you can push them to get support out there. Um, you know, I think I think some of the aspects around you know connection have been really incredible, and you know one of the challenges I think for you know any government department. And you know, most most people still you know sort of refer to us as, as DCA, even though of course we've been you know kind of moved into a, a much bigger department. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, but really, really trying to make sure that there was you know wherever possible uh, a public face there that um, people in the sector felt that they had you know a, a group. That they you know could connect to, that were in government, really trying to find whichever ways they could to provide support you know for them and their work within you know the mechanisms they had, um, but also you know trying to ensure that there was a sense of you know connection to uh, the sector and what, what the sector were were going through, um, that we weren't you know we weren't some you know sort of autonomous you know sort of government department. Um, within this, you know, broader, uh, you know, local government, you know, kind of sport and cultural industries, um, and I think that you know that that recognizing, you know, the limits really perhaps gives us a, you know, perhaps a starting point on, on the way to conversations, which, you know, I'm hoping will be a really open, you know, conversation because you know I think they're the challenges facing us all. Thank you.
you, everyone, for sharing individually so let's sort of get us started. Um, so I'll, I'll read out the next two questions which were shared with the panellists um, and this is where, you know, we're kind of hoping to start to kind of shift it more into group chat and then questions when, when the audience is ready. Um, so the next two questions were about how do you see the arts landscape shifting in the next one to two or three to five years? Uh, and then what are the potential opportunities or issues you see evolving in the arts industry in the next three to five years? And what will this mean for how we make and share work in Australia and beyond? Um, so, uh, do we, do we, does anyone want to sort of talk to that question to start off with? And then we just breathe on. Okay. <coughs> <laughs> That's the yeah, terrible. <laughs> Which is why I'm not a rapper. Um, uh, uh, so, I mean, opportunities at the simplest level are we we have been over the last year in the privileged place, starting with that extraordinary explosion that was last year's hub here um, in this building, and I sing its praises in any corner that I can and about the what that moment did and what this moment continues to do. In terms of having these conversations collegially as a group of people who have had the privilege of, of having an environment that has allowed us to make collaborative work. And that environment hasn't been in many places in the world and therefore there is content that's been developed here. There have been projects and dreams and manifestations of imagination that have been brought to life in this place that have been not done in other places around the world. And so the opportunity that comes from that is when the world opens, that work is readier than many places are. And that is the a prime opportunity and something that the department is um, immensely aware of and is, and is pursuing actively. Um, a corollary to that is the sense of individual and collective self-belief that I perceive from this privileged position. I'm sorry, I'm wearing a suit. Um, uh, which is of, of the belief that what we produce is great art. Not art that doesn't, that is exclusive, that is not comprehensible art, that actually the job, the empathy creation that art is doing is of a quality that deserves to be seen in many places in the world. And that sense of belief and that inversion of what the um, of what the importation model does is also something that's palpable uh, from this position and I hope and please let me know if it doesn't feel like that from other positions. I can only and, and in all of those efforts that the extraordinary festival team did, every artist who is involved in the festival across government and across our audiences about enabling that flip to happen with the festival and what happened inside there, that was collective willingness to make this thing happen, to not breach trust with the audience. We will do everything we can to have these dreams seen on stage. I wrote the email went to all of the artists to cancel the festival. I had to write that early because I couldn't
my bit of writing the email was the single trickiest moment of this of my tenure so far. Um, because inside it was the what Paul Melbourne had just gone through. Inside it is that moment where you go, all of that investment and what it could be and allowing it to be seen. Like that moment was immensely tricky, but I had to write it days ahead of when we did the jiggery pokery to make it all happen. You know, but but it was real, it was live. Like that was live for days and days and days that we didn't that we wouldn't get to do it. On behalf of all of you, individually and collectively, like what that might have felt like. And then to place ourselves now in that position as I'm sure you are, of what it feels like to be in Melbourne having had years, now two festivals worth of work, just sitting right there. So these opportunities of us leaping out into the world feels incredibly important. The flexibility that I hear that Marty speaks about um, from the from the departments in terms of how they're looking, like that's immensely fast moving for a bureaucracy to be doing what they're doing. And uh, you, everyone always wishes it could be even faster, but when you have a look at the levels of processes we need to go through, it's unbelievable the speed at which that stuff is happening and the and the frustrations that would come from a from a blockage that were four departments over and you know, like it's really understood the, the work that people do in trying to get this stuff through. If I had any frustration about the what Maddie was talking about is that are the systems changing enough in imagining what a new world might be? You see a whole pile of, uh, of highly funded arts organisations digging heels in about kind of defending defending turf. I'm speaking less here in Western Australia, more around the country and certainly around the globe about kind of maintaining what that place of privilege and that history of what those, be it in, inside the high-end arts, opera, classical music, uh, theatre, those those traditionally highly funded organisations and how they've just like, ah, and hold, that's, they're the people who are gripping onto the old model and it feels like we're in a, in a there's immense possibility inside a, 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 a community like ours to, to look at, at how that model might be reimagined, is being reimagined, how we might make that imagining turn real. Not a think tank, a do tank. Mm -hmm. Yeah, do tank. Um, Maddie, would you like to would you like to kind of share a response? You know, in in Melbourne and, and where you are at at the moment. Um, to sort of hear from you for a moment, you know, just to kind of really acknowledge that. I keep sort of swooping, look, I can see you on the screen behind me, so that's why I keep turning around because I feel like I want to talk to your face. <laughs> um, and on the screen in front of me, I can't actually see you at the moment. So, uh, would you? Uh, I'll just, I would just like to say a couple of things. One is about the feeling of what it's like in the city when the festival can't happen. Um, and there's this very sort of, well, I mean, there's all the, the disappointments and of the makers, um, and but stepping out of that to some extent, there's the feeling of, oh, we didn't get that moment, we didn't get that collective time to experience something together which will change, which changes us all. Mm -hmm. 
and so we didn't get that chance to be changed um, in an inner city. And I think that's the sort of that's the painful thing um, that people are experiencing now. Isley, um, you know, a beautiful work, a few beautiful works that could still happen along the river, where we, if you were within your 5k, you could walk past them at a certain time during the exercise. You know, so you know, making the rules work for everybody and safely. Um, and there was a real sentiment at those works that this is like almost too sad. There's a poignancy about that, um, and this. Uh, come, people coming together along the river to listen to something that um, in a sparse city, in a quiet city, because nothing else was happening there. Um, yeah, so there, I, I think there's it's a very particular sadness that's happening here in Melbourne. And I, I definitely think to, in terms of restrictions that we're in, and let me say I'm all for vaccines and all for restrictions, um, but the restrictions that we're in here this time have felt, and I think it's because it's intersecting with the festival loss, um, have felt really difficult for our community and other communities. Um, I just wanted to say part of my process when we're talking together is I like to write things in the chat. Yeah. So I don't know if that's something. Yeah, we're seeing that. Um, that's right, yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's come up on that wood. It's actually this, Crazy making, yes. Crazy making. Oh, you're amazing. Okay, so, uh, 
Yes, and I suppose that the flow-on effect as well uh, for that was the other thing that I was kind of thinking at that time, like, uh, you know, sort of bumping things forward or pausing and shifting things, but kind of how many times can you actually kind of really do that before you start to interfere with what's lined up to happen next um, and, and things like that. So it's just, it's, yeah, complicated. Um, and, I, you know, I don't know uh, what, what you might want to say with that in terms of sort of... Oh, just, to, just to say that, like, the idea of doing that is one thing and to have that, the audacity to go, that's possible. But to really acknowledge the amount of grunt that so many people did, and artists included, maybe some people inside that pause had a little moment of reflection that allowed the art to feel uh, richer and more grounded, because there was that moment where where you got to pause rather than being strapped to that locomotive and then pulled it to the side for a little moment, and then accelerate. Every single one of us, I think, who creates work collectively inside theatres. You just feel that moment on the locomotive, just going, fuck, and then sort of audience, and you're never ready. Sorry, I've never been in a show that's been ready for that first audience. And, and congratulations to those of you who have been, but I, maybe that's more reflection on my own practice than anything else. But, um, but that moment of pause, and then you kind of take stock, and then you kind of have, have moments, and then, and then relaunch. But the people inside ticketing, the people inside production, inside the Festival and the amount of work that happened there was extraordinary, and none of that was me. And so people go, that was amazing. And then, like, I get so much gets sent through a person in a position like this, and nothing to do with me. Uh, there is, like, the extraordinary amount of work that, that so many people do is, I just uh, have to acknowledge it every single moment. Um, so, thank you to those people who are in the room. Australian premiere, 
um, and that would have been August last year. Um, and had that have happened, it would have been it would have taken every ounce of energy from everyone involved to get it um, ready. Like Ian's saying, I'm not sure if it would have been totally ready, but we would have the luxury of having um, a good few weeks in the theatre leading up to that premiere. Um, so that changed and we reassessed, we, as I've mentioned, up to, you know, version 30 of 2021. Um, and I think, you know, the effects of this, um, of things cancelling and things being um, rescheduled or, um, it really does do your head in. And, you know, Rachel and I are co-artistic directors and most of the time we haven't been able to be in that same space together. So this Zoom, the, it starts to be taxing. Um, the, the unhuman contact, you know, like you're not in the same room and you're not throwing ideas around, you're not um, vibing off one another in, in a normal, more natural way. It's more um, clunky. <laughs> Um, and so we had to rethink the way that we were going to uh, achieve uh, the finishing. We were like three quarters of the way finishing the production, but we had just a little bit more work to do. We um, did what we called Together Apart um, developments, where we would have Sydney Studio set up at Carriageworks uh, with a huge big screen on the wall of all the broom mob, and all the broom mob would have a big wall of the Sydney mob and we'd have our, from everything from warm-up in the morning to lunch together, everything, it was on all the time so we could see each other and try to be with each other somehow. And although there was, um, you know, probably a smaller team here in Broome, there was about five of us um, within the space here, it felt so good to be connected at, at some level with those that were in Sydney. We missed each other so much, and I think that when you invest everything, your spirit into a piece, um, that, you know, we go places that uncover, and, and we witness things that um, we're there together. Uh, we, in the development of a work that you birth, you, um, you really genuinely create connections with people that, that are strong, that are genuine, and that are real. And, so, you know, as far as our company goes, we um, anything that did cancel, we honour those artists because they hold those dates for, you know, 18 months at a time. Mm. We honour those artists with, with their payment, with their fee. Um, we feel that it, it, it's the right thing to do. I mean, artists are holding their time for so long. Um, they invest everything that they've got into a process that asks everything of them. Um, and then for that, you know, as you say, Ian, the, the dreams to just be shattered <laughs> um, and you can't tour or you can't, um, you know, even just get it to the stage for its first, for its premiere, you um, feel extremely responsible for those artists that you've involved um, as a co-artistic director anyway and as a choreographer. So you, um, that, that became quite stressful this last year and and the constant changing like I'm a mother of four I've got kids I you know life um, is going on here in Broome and funnily um, listening to the stories of say Perth or Melbourne or Sydney when when the lockdown downs are going on we're having the opposite up here in North 
everyone wants to, can't go to Bali, so they're coming to Broome. Um, so you have that extra sense of responsibility again, because you're, um, while it's great to have for the economy and for things like that, kind of feeling a little worried. It's the gateway to the rest of the Kimberley. Um, you're having gatherings. We continued. We had Shinju Matsuri at, at, at a fair size last year. Um, there were groups of people all over the place. You start to get uh, a little worried that if, if there hadn't been um, some cases, we could have been in some mighty trouble up here, um, especially with people travelling within uh, the communities. Saying that, communities closed down, communities are still closed, some of um, those that are up the peninsula are still closed to general public non-essential services at their choice, um, which I totally respect. Um, and in the next kind of one to five years in thinking about how the landscape's going to change, we've invested a lot in the last probably you know, 10 years in trying to nurture small circuits within regional and remote communities. So um, thinking that that might be impacted by, by COVID, it makes me a bit worried too because it's always been important for us to be able to give, you know, it's not just for the major cities or the, or the um, beautiful European venues, it's these performances are for our people, for, for the local to experience, to inspire, to bring out other stories. So um, to not feel like we're not able to share those just yet um, is, is um, tough. Uh, but we're hoping, fingers everything crossed, that um, you know things will go smoothly and, and we can look at that for next year to to you know possibly go take Dulunganga um, and other works to continue with with plans to um, tour those remotely. Yes. Um, but one of our collaborations, Ladenia Kala, which would have been in Perth, yes. very recently. Um, that was devastating as well. We had New Caledonian dancers um, that obviously couldn't even fly here to be here. Um, you know, that sense of responsibility for artists that, you know, it's their bread and butter, it's the thing that makes their um, world go around. You kind of feel um, extremely responsible when you can't give them that opportunity. So it's um, all we do is figure out how we can bring it back in some way or another in the next, you know, in our capacity and, and our programming and, and the whole jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I thought I might just uh, jump to a couple of pieces of research which, which we undertook at the start of the year, which, which started to talk to that, you know, a bit of that experience around uh, employment you know, and artists' livelihoods. And there's, there's a couple of pieces of research. One was a, a broader creative industry survey. So that went out across areas such, you know, including sort of, uh, you know, design and, and digital content development, you know, so that broader definition of the creative industries. And we sort of went out through a number of the, uh, the big industry groups to, to members. So there's, you know, certainly much broader than uh, the cohort that we would normally have a funding relationship with. Um, now, that found overall there was a 59% decrease in employment over the six month period prior to that. Um, now, that's across the board, but then when you look at the different categories of employment, and particularly for freelance and contract workers, that was a 78% decrease. 
So, you know, that starts to speak to some of the challenges, you know, around uh, work, uh, support for work um, through through existing mechanisms, but it starts to talk to, you know, what perhaps the thinking that perhaps is needed uh, around how we actually ensure, you know, artists' livelihood uh, can be actually better protected and better ensured, you know, through through the models that, that we need to develop. Um, there was another piece of work, uh, and I'll perhaps say a bit more on that in a second, there was another piece of work which we did, which was across our uh, funded organisations. Um, so I mentioned earlier that initial survey that we did, which you know, led to um, some of that initial support being able to you know, sort of be distributed um, in partnership with Lower West. We, we sort of did an update of that with our funded organisations, sort of at the start of this year again, and that was looking at that second half of last year. Um, sort of what, the, what, what that actually, what that impact was up until December, but then uh, more importantly, asking organisations, you know, what their forecasts were, you know, both in terms of their programming approach, um, what their forecasts were in terms of their box office income, sponsorship, other income, um, and trying to get a sense how they were tracking both financially, but also what some of those other uh, contingency plans um, and approaches which they might be considering. Um, now, interesting, interesting to see, see that you know a number of, particularly the performing arts organisations, uh, when talking contingency plans, um, sort of made reference to programs such as you know the, the getting the show back on the road uh, program, which you know is sort of enabled a lot of activity to you know hopefully go ahead if there was a, you know so that that real doubt around uh, box office uh, income and, and the viability of a project and uh, we've sort of received over 120 applications for that program since November and uh, supported quite a, paid, paid about 4.5 million out in support so far and of course you know particular impacts through the January February lockdown uh, and then the Anzac Day weekend lockdown which of course we're still working through you know, the impact of that and what those claims are. Um, but interestingly, it's probably the ones which, you know, didn't get paid out, which are just as important because they've been a, a shared risk program and offering that potential support in case something might happen um, has been designed to, to try and enable uh, events and activities to go ahead where there may be that doubt. Um, but interestingly, when looking at the, you know, the financial situation of the organisations. Interesting to see, of course, you know, the obvious drop in income uh, over that six-month period, um, starting to draw on reserves for organisations. Um, so, you know, by the end of December, if you were to just take that as a snapshot, um, you know, organisations still with, you know, with reserves dipped in, but, you know, decreasing in profit, but, you know, overall you'd say, okay, well, you know, nothing to alarm you yet. But then when we look to the forecast going ahead and we look to the ongoing sort of uncertainties, particularly around uh, box office income, around sponsorship, um, particularly now too going ahead without uh, the safety net of JobKeeper as well, and particularly what that means for employment. Um, interestingly, looking particularly at, you know, the, the, uh, the profit estimates and the reserve estimates uh, by the end of uh, June, so the start of July, it's not looking as rosy. 
Um, so that's that's a fundamental challenge because you start to say, okay, so what do you need to do within the models uh, to enable those organisations to have the sustainability to continue operating, to continue to employ uh, artists, uh, production teams, um, and to continue to engage audiences in the broader community. Um, and that's on an organisational level. I think for individuals that challenge is, is even broader. Um, and there's a, there's a really interesting piece of work which you know, I'm sure a number of people have seen that the Australia Council has just, just, uh, just released. Uh, Reimagine uh, what's, what's next. And that sort of emerged out of a quite a broad conversation with uh, you know, artists across uh, the country. Um, and interestingly, like the three themes, three key themes which have come out of that work, uh, the first theme around survival and resilience, and, and particularly around artists' livelihoods. And you know, looking uh, towards models which can better support uh, that ecosystem which is needed uh, to ensure that artists, uh, creatives, and and all the support um, you know uh, is there uh, to ensure that that livelihood is maintained. Um, Centering equity, of course, you know, critical critical point going forward. You know, for any work that's uh, producing funded. Um, but seeing, seeing um, those voices come through, and I you know, certainly agree that this, this period has also enabled you know, a much greater focus you know, on, on that notion of centering equity in all the work that we need to do going forward. And, and public value, you know, the third thing, um, and this I think you know, from, a, from a government perspective, and it's interesting you have those sort of deja vu moments, sort of 2010, um, the, the public value policy framework for, for culture and arts and, and at the time it was the, the first public value policy framework in, in the country um, and now we're getting the Australian Council to tell us about public value which is you know where it's really fun but it is interesting in the sense that it, what, it, what it actually means uh, and, and why sort of harking back to you know, some research because it can tend to sound a bit dry um, but what it actually enables is a chance to actually to you know, gather the research to make the case for the changes that are needed, uh, to put you know, business cases forward uh, for, you know, for changing programs, for developing new programs, but also recognising, you know, one, what the impact is and what the impact has been, but also you know, what are the potential steps that are needed to look at the change. And, and that's that's the conversation which you know I'm, I'm particularly interested in. Thank you. Um, I was just I was, I was thinking about if we could uh, flesh out a little bit more uh, what you alluded to, Maddie, in uh, like and and also Dahlia, like that sort of um, not being present for for the work or the kind of making of the work. At a distance from each other, um, and you know, yeah, I mean, the, the trickiness of that as well, and not being able to be there, particularly uh, for the presentation uh, as well, like like maybe experienced. Um, and if maybe you wanted to speak some more to uh, that example, um, perhaps. 
uh, just also of interest for the, for the artists in the room to, to kind of hear about that process.
the dramaturg that we had working, dance dramaturg on Durin Langa, Hildegard de Weiss, um, who's Belgian-based, um, uh, she would have been with us, um, obviously, for the for the, the final creative development and premiere of the, of the or preview of the work in Broome, but um, obviously wasn't able to. Um, and we cried on, on WhatsApp, you know, after it's kind of like that morning, but also um, the pride that we made it through um, working in, in that clunky way of, you know, early mornings or late night um, dramaturgy conversations about, you know, filming everything, putting it on box, making sure she has access to it, making sure we've all had our thoughts uh, uh, acknowledged on music, on lighting design, on all, all those things that come with making uh, in those final moments of making a piece. Um, and having someone like Hildegard with all her experience in the room would have been, uh, you know, very valuable. <laughs> but because she wasn't there, she couldn't, she's like, I can't, I can't actually hear it properly, or I can't actually see what the light is doing. And that thing of being in place. And I think culturally, as, as an Aboriginal dancer and performer, I really rely on the place that I am, whether I'm in a place that I'm not from, drawing from the other side of the place to bring the energy I need to put out there to help tell the story, but also draw the energy from the place that I am that I might not belong, um, and, and, and what you have there. And then when you're making those final decisions, because um, with lights and sound and you know final choreography notes and all of that kind of stuff, not being there must have been um, you know, such a frustration for her and I, we were often, Rachel and I were often putting ourselves in her feet and just feeling, you know, helpless because you, you can't do anything. But she was so proud in the end because, you know, obviously she's part of a team, it's not just all about her and um, everyone was uh, there with full spirit to, to bring it to where it was. We actually, uh, our final two week rehearsal happened in Darwin which was meant to happen in Broome, but what we were being tricky about was trying to avoid the whole if something, if if New South Wales went down lockdown and some of our artists had to then uh, start quarantine for two weeks, that we would have lost rehearsal, we would have lost the, the um, pre preview. So we had to kind of work backwards from the preview and work out how were we going to make it possible for that to happen and and so we thought Darwin is least likely, let's all go there for two weeks, be there for the 14 days that all you need to require to, to, to cross through the border and luckily I think the day before everyone left the Perth lockdown happened and we had a couple of the um, composers travelling through from Sydney so that we had to change flights and lighting designer had to fly like three three legged flight from just to avoid Perth because <laughs> everyone was coming through Perth so it was all of that kind of um, last minute um, you know maneuvering and, and just changing that you have to be ready for anything these days like every day is a new day and you just Okay, where are we at today? Let's make this happen because it's got to happen. And um, 
you know, and you're right, Maddie, sitting in that audience, feeling what we're asking of the audience when we're gifting the show that, um, you know, for the first time, it, there's nothing like it. So it's, it's a difficult one to imagine. I, I cannot imagine not being there um, with those that you're working with on, on at that moment. <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to experience it at some point, but I, I can't imagine. <laughs> um, we, we made a decision inside the festival to not have digital presentations of shows for many of the same reasons that you described, like to not offer a stage presentation, a piece of theatre, dance, like a, a performance as opposed to things inside Day of Ideas where it's about talking heads and that and the ideas being expressed as opposed to what the manifestation of the stage experience was. But I'd be interested to know from people here whether that would, whether we're, that's my instinct, that like the sharing of the space with the performer is prime to what we do, like that connection is the thing that we thrive on and why we do it. And if that's, aware on that sliding scale, like is it better to do it in a virtual environment, if that's the only environment by which you can exist, or do you actually go, no, I'd rather wait for people? Like, it's a, it, it, I, I tic-tac inside those kind of questions, which is, you know, looking looking forward at how various festivals have addressed that idea. very interesting to see the situations and instances where, that's, where that has worked, uh, and, and particularly across, uh, I'm just thinking across the broader art form areas as well. So uh, the uh, annual re revealed 
uh, exhibition marketplace um, held at Fremantle Arts Centre. Um, this year, because of, um, and, and actually some of the concerns that uh, Dahlia's mentioned, you know, around communities, of course, uh, needing to ensure their safety, um, you know, we, we didn't have that, that great experience of, of those art centres, you know, sort of travelling down, the artists travelling down, and the, the professional development which came with that. Um, one of the other key parts of the event is the, the marketplace, which, uh, and anyone who's been there, it's a, you know, it's a free-for-all. People are diving in on the ground to, you know, find that artwork. Um, and, and, it's, and it's an incredible, incredible experience, incredible experience community as well. Um, and so at a very quick notice, um, we were able to borrow an online platform. And, and uh, you know, platforms have, have been a, a key point of a lot of conversations around, you know, digital pivots. Um, but we managed to borrow a platform from uh, the Darwin Art Fair, um, which essentially they, they you know, kindly lent you know, to the art centre, Fremont Art Centre, uh, to utilise, um, which still enabled, uh, I think it's close to $800,000 worth of sales uh, online for revealed, and particularly because that's focusing on the emerging Aboriginal art centres, uh, that's, that's considerable income, particularly any time, but, you know, particularly at this time. Um, but I think with all the discussions about hybrid models going forward, um, you know, it's it's going to be uh, an interesting challenge for how practice is supported, um, particularly around that that question uh, that you mentioned around uh, the, the quality of experience um, and, and how that's ensured um, the quality of work and the quality of experience, um, and how that's ensured moving beyond um, that rapid sort of rigid practice can, can, uh, can raise you know, to that level, but be appropriate you know, for, its, for its context and its platform. So, just to go back, in terms of presenting online options, I guess we've talked a lot about how the artists can go forward and how we can find ways for the artists to work. In terms of production, like, the, is that something that needs to be explored more so that those production workers can keep working because we can't run to online to make our, you know, we need we need the stage or we need the event or we need whatever that is. So even though as production workers it like is a physical blow when you send a shit lighting change or something and you're watching through film and it's very, very bad, I would still rather see that and know that that team was being employed and maybe they were learning some new skills about how to light for film or, you know, is that something that you guys are thinking about moving forward to take the production crew with you, because otherwise they have to go and work at Bunnings. Really pertinent question. Oh no, sorry, I was just, yeah, yeah we, we've lost so many. So many. Our, our, our industry, the production industry, we've lost. We've, we've lost. Like, yeah. So. Just, just in furious agreement, but like, yeah, we, we, we do. We've lost. We've lost so many production workers, like just That's across the board. Yeah, absolutely the last one. And it was just the last tour. We just and Jockey the gone as well. It's just the skill that has fled the production industry is it's it's really scary. It's like there's a just decades of experience that's gone. And a lot of those workers didn't have any safety nets. It's like like you say, they're just long term casual workers and it's like yeah, people just literally have gone. It's 
Yeah, so there's that. We've, we've been really lucky in Perth for the theatres. Our theatres have managed to keep a whole bunch of their casual workers and that's been really great, but in terms of the events, in terms of the you know one contract wonders, people that would be moving. I'd like to ask a question, Anna Kosky. Hello. It's really directed to you, Marty, and really about kind of picking up this conversation. You know, you talked about models of programming. What are you thinking about? Like, what are you kind of in terms, I mean, is that the discussion to be had? Or do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, models of programming or models of support? Models of support. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Look, this is this is the conversation mm -hmm. that you know I think we all need to have going forward. Um, I think we're facing a fundamentally different future. Um, you know, I, I also, you know, I do, I do share the fear that some of the the amazing things which you've seen come out. Around connection, around community, uh, you know, the, the, uh, Maddie mentioned that that window may be shutting on, on some things too quickly. But I think this is this is an opportune moment to to really look at what hasn't worked and what doesn't work because of its its fundamental basis of how it's designed to support uh, particular activity. Um, so yes, yeah, so this is the conversation. We certainly need to have. So you know, it's around how how you can support you know a, a network which enables uh, you know that that work to happen. Uh, you know, artist production teams to ensure uh, a livelihood through it. Uh, you know, so that whether it's whether it's a focus on uh, sort of production hub models or more ensemble based work. Um, I think the, these these are the. And, uh, I don't know if you so you're saying outside of the existing structures, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Universal yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And, and it's interesting because, of course, you know, the universal you know, basic income came through in the OSCO research. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a key point going forward. I think from a state government perspective, of course, you know, we always have a different role to play in something like that as to, you know, federal government. That's not a handball. Um, it's more around universal basic income, normally sort of linked, you know, to uh, taxation and welfare systems as its as its core means. Um, but there's certainly other ways, as a state agency, that we can potentially look at supporting that work differently to the way it's supported now, um, which, in a sense, gives gives you know, gives that potential for that ongoing support for livelihoods. I'm not saying I've got the answers, I'm saying this is a, this is a conversation, yeah. Just before you, I just I was aware that Anna's question was there and then it just sort of went, the production one went into the ether. But it was the fact that there's active conversations happening with the, the um, around the prospect of the studios and what, uh, what actually give an opportunity between on stage and film industry and the crossover of skill sets in lighting sound, um, back house kind of elements between event management and, and film crews, given that there's a, a, a large push inside government into, into that area. So there is, we're party to some of those discussions, but clearly that's, that's also further down the line. But um, never forgotten the noise. If 
let me just add uh, to that point as well, uh, from Hannah's original point. The the question around sort of uh, you know how how government, for instance, can can look at potentially supporting uh, you know production teams, you know suppliers, you know uh, you know casual contractors, uh, sitting right down to the person doing the tech fencing, you know for an event. Um, when when looking at that from a funding perspective, it's it's you know it's very difficult for government to have uh, uh, well let's say a, a cultural master uh with its policy intent to have that direct relationship with everyone in that production chain. Um, but through often the, you know, the, the, the best way to ensure that that money can flow through is by you know one supporting activity but supporting the safety net if that activity then can't go ahead and ensuring there is some mechanisms there for those payments still to go through to all the creditors, to all the people who have been engaged. And, and so the one of the fundamentals of the, the Getting the Show Back on the Road program, for instance, and, and this is a, a large number of the applicants, are, for instance, like music promoters that have never come to government for funding before. Uh, they normally see government as you know, the, the people that have to do the compliance forms for. Um, and having to fundamentally change their models and the way that they think about the work that they undertake um, and open up their books to be able to have the conversation with us as well. Because uh, they're fundamentally profit-driven vehicles, um, but seeing them have to adapt their models to uh, because of course they're not they're not going to go out there if they've not at least got that opportunity to break even. You know they're, they're not out there to lose money, um, but in doing so, recognizing that every single person in that production chain is absolutely vital, not just for them, but for their whole industry, and so. Getting the commitment up front that you know any money made or any and certainly any support that we might provide is going to everyone in that production chain. Uh, so that that's you know that's that's one example of a, of a different approach. Um, sort of working working with uh, you know Treasury a year ago to get that program up. Um, it's kind of like you were, you were trying to explain a, a, a giraffe and someone kept saying, but it's an elephant. And they they really couldn't understand this, you know the well one the need, but then potentially how you might get it there. Um, and, and I think it's only it's only after we've gone through now a few instances where you know that support has been like drastically needed uh, that people have started to get it. And we've started to get not just you know what it means for you know for our sector, but what it means for you know the broader economy and what it means for the community as a whole as well. that we're not addressing with data and statistics are the independent organisations, the ones that aren't funded. Um, so there are a lot of producers, independent producers, 
I'm one of them. I'm certainly not the only one in the state. Indi uh, Self-producing artists or, uh, or independent ones that were also dipping into their reserves. And by reserves, I mean the money they use to pay the rent. Um, and I think that that always needs acknowledging in, in these situations as well, that it, it's organisations have been through a terrible time and I have the utmost respect for those who are able to pay out contracts to artists as well. Like, that's not to take away from that. But it's really important that we acknowledge how much artists were dipping into their own personal reserves um, at incredible cost, not just financial. Um, and as a follow-up to that, it would be really, really great if we could have the stats and the data from the state government about that as well. I know that the Chamber of the Arts and Culture has been doing some magnificent research into this area about independent artists and some really great uh, qualitative research. And gosh darn it, I'm full, I just can't wait to see the numbers and the quantitative data because data is king. And if we're talking about future planning, about this going into the future, um, we can't do that without the stats. We can't wait to share it. <laughs> <laughs> because we realise that. Oh, here's a, is there a due date for the stats? That's the question. I got it. <laughs> Not a due date, the session. Yeah. So give a date, a date will come and the data will be there. Um, but really, it, it is about the, you know, the criticalness of that and the ongoing conversation. And the, the, that broader creative industry survey we did, of course, Chamber, the Chamber was, was, one of the, uh, was one of the industry groups that went out to. You know, so, uh, you know, of course, you know, with the intent to try and capture, uh, you know, as, as many, you know, sort of independents as possible who may be members. We know that that's, you know, started to grow, uh, and, and, you know, through a lot of involvement. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. The key thing uh, with any data is not just the data you have, but the data that you don't have, and what's not being captured. And that's why this conversation, you know, does need to broaden, um, and it's why the, the sense of those programs, you know, the support, you know, also need to have that feeding uh, because that's that's what's going to make the case. That is what's going to make the case. So yeah, so more more on this to come. Thanks, Martin. Let's talk about if we should be getting it back on the road. Go, <laughs> <laughs> Matt. I think I just responding to something that's called getting the show back on the road. Um, and bring it back, I guess, to thinking about what, um, why we're doing what we're doing. What, what do we need to be doing? What sort of work do we need to be making now? And I absolutely know that this is one of the um, privileges of being a contemporary artist, um, and um, that that I can ask that question. Um, but I. I, and I and I can make a new work that is 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 because of those questions. Um, and I know there's I imagine there's a lot of people there who are with us today who are like that too. But I, I just want to keep asking them. I want to keep making sure that we're all asking ourselves those questions. I mean I know we all do from our different perspectives. Um, but I'm wondering about if there's some way. Um, about a sort of collective, a collective response to that that isn't necessarily based in art form or scale or um, 
the separations that we're the separations that our sector are in, but is there some way that we can answer that better? Um, because I, I think sometimes, you know, I think definitely we've, we've suffered, we suffer in the arts because of our separations as well. Um, anyway, that's, that's enough about that. Please answer. <laughs> I was just going to say, Maddie, it's Rachel, that that's actually kind of one of the key things about Colleen Creative Hub is, is trying to understand how we can work better together and break down some silos that are going on in our industry. I'm just going to pass the title. Yeah, just in response to getting back on the road, I think I've, I've been reflecting on progress and what it means to progress as an artist in this time. And this feeling like there's always the next step and the next place to go and the next place to reach for and this kind of constant need to get somewhere or go somewhere. And I feel like internally as an artist, that's true. That there's always something that involves growth and moving forward, but that's in a very particular way that's devoted to the art. And I feel like the whole planet is saying, you know, slow down and stop. And there's a lot of grief, I think, associated with that and a lot of um, collective sadness at the moment around not being able to do the things that we want to do or the way that we used to do them. And at the same time, it feels like this big gift of being able to take stock and try and reimagine what progress looks like. I don't think that's a question either. I was just <laughs> <laughs> utter reflection. But I mean, it's, it's very hard thing to resist because I, I have to say I'm constantly fighting it. I want to go further and do more and the next thing. And I don't know how to address that sometimes. So fast, we're all just like in our own rooms. Um, so that all those sorts of production values 
that come from, and, and, and the personnel, the amazing personnel you get to work with in a theatre, that stuff wasn't there because of the immediacy of it. So, I don't know, as, as an offer in there as well, I wonder whether there's a version which is in theatres but still made for streaming somehow, or is that just a, a compromise we're waiting to go away until we can do what we know, more familiar, or, um, yeah. Uh, Jenny, does anyone else have things that they would be sad if they went away when things just go back to the way they were, if they ever do? I mean, I do think you and your company would be best placed to make something that could possibly work streaming and live, and it would be built specifically for that. I do think that the way that you play with image expectation uh, uh, artifice and reality kind of could work in some of them. Certainly the stuff I've seen that you've built in a purely online environment does is exciting. Um, uh, but I do think it needs to be built for that method of consumption. Yeah. I don't think the, like the thing that I react to is is I mean it's incredibly beautiful watching the Met like a show on, on DVD, you're watching a show on DVD basically is what and that's a thing and it doesn't replace this thing. And crueler is when you're only watching that format because you can't watch it in, as opposed to what a thrill that I get to see this thing that I can't see because of the tyranny of distance, not because we're all, because this is a compromised version of something that I would ordinarily go and be in a room live with. Um, yeah. yeah, I feel, I feel excited about the possibility for the forms of new work. Absolutely, that's still exciting to me. Could I just ask you, Dahlia, like what, what's your experience, like, goody-goody, uh, absolutely, tours the world, and now, now it is a filmed work. I mean, like, that's, you, that, that work now exists in, in a three, three, isn't it? Three, three video? Like, yeah, four, three things. Yeah, three, three things. Like, what's that? What's I mean, that it's, it's, what's it's all new for us, um, you know, entering that digitised world. I mean, we use multimedia in performance, but, but it's all about, that's what we're all about, this audience live performance world that's that's what it's about for us but entering you know undergoing I, I did have my reservations at first because I was thinking how am I going to bring what good it good it asks of me as, a, as an artist to you know to no audience at first to, to film it to, to the people that were there the, the film crew and the and Vernon and and, and the others in that space, but then to imagine where it's going to go and reach the people. I think that's what excited me in the end. I was like, this could be the legacy. This is something, this is something that I would, and you've seen the show you, that I want to give to everyone this uh, experience of witnessing what it's like to be in our world and, and the resilience and strength that we shine through um, as Aboriginal people, um, even going through everything that we have, so, um, and Vernon being um, uh, an amazing artist as well, and um, the suggestion of shooting on country, um, you know, here in Broome, in a car park in, in uh, at Town Beach where, you know, there's all kinds of um, um, contemporary issues at the moment with mind mob, you know, young people belting each other, you know, a lot of street drinking, all that kind of stuff, but somehow it's still uh, 
you know, it's connected to this ancient place, this place where my people used to sit and, and eat, you know. Um, and then to shoot that in country made it feel even more real in a sense, um, which made it possible to bring that, that the, the, um, the essence of what I've tried to communicate in, in the live performance, in, which is in a, in a um, you know, as you know, in a theatre, um, to audiences all over the place, it's kind of like bringing country into that space with me to be able to give that story. It, it um, in this way, it's reflected back with country there supporting me. So, um, in that sense, I can see the potential. I start, oh wow, this is something new for me to experience as an artist at this stage of my career to see that there are other opportunities that you know, uncharted territory that we haven't gone to yet, but at the same time you want to hold on to what you know um, works as well, like we, we know what we make, uh, you know, those questions that um, Maddie put up there, you know, that, that we ask ourselves, um, you know, what show should we be making, what, what kind of work should we be making, um, um, how should we go about making it, those kind of things are, are um, in the foundation of what Marageki was born out of. Um, and we do that in an intercultural way, um, both Indigenous, non-Indigenous people, trying to find that story to tell together. Um, so when that runs out, for me personally, I won't be doing this. There's no way I'll stay at home and go fishing and be with my kids and family. Like, that's a no-brainer for me. I would not be in this game if I didn't feel that what we do makes a difference as artists. And I think holding on to that um, as hard as it can be sometimes is is all we have sometimes. Um, and I, in this new world, I don't know what that means for everyone in their particular situations. Production and, you know, there's so many people that make this industry what it is. So it's, um, it is a hard one and it's a it's a personal one. Each one of us have to reflect and think, just like um, audience member did there. Um, reflect on what, where you're at right now, what it means to you, and where you want to go next. Um, and yeah, I, I just feel that, you know, all all we can do though is keep creating these opportunities to talk, connect with each other, so that we we are learning. And I think one thing that scares me a little is we invested a lot in trans-Indigenous conversations, giving voice to other um, Indigenous brothers and sisters or First Nations artists around the, um, through our labs and through the direction we were going to be taking Marageku um, with our Asian um, neighbours. Um, and that is, has to be rethought because I'm not sure we'll be travelling that way anytime soon. And is it possible to nurture a relationship virtually, uh, is, it, is that going to work the same because we rely on welcoming people to a place or uh, or being welcomed to a place and a culture and, 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 and feeling what it's like to learn about uh, their ways of knowing and being um, and vice versa and then, you know, uh, exchanging through workshop or through laboratory dance uh, and through movement and undertaking our um, our process to kind of draw out voices from, from all the, the multiple artists in the room. So I'm going to really miss that if we don't get to do that um, 
such a great point earlier about the nurturing. How can we nurture um, each other during these times? And and whether um, in new relationships, like maybe we met once, maybe we met once in Taiwan and we're starting to do something together and now we're in pause. So how we how we um, continue that? Um, I've tried that in lots of different ways, um, and but I think over this last period of time, and I think the the sort of strongest ways about that has been about trying to bring other people into that and trying to build more um, small groups around those relationships as well. So yeah, I think it's sort of it's a definitely a concern for me about. Um, you know, I'm a middle-aged artist. I've been doing it for a while. I've got lots of relationships. But what about if you're just starting out and you haven't got relationships in Korea or Japan or you haven't got cultural... You haven't got the possibility yet for intercultural learnings. Um, how do we do that? How do we make that for more people? I'm thinking about that. Yeah. We've got ten more minutes and I feel like it would be good to talk about relationships and connection and um, uh, if there's more questions sort of on that in particular um, I mean the, the sort of question about how we maintain relationships with international friends I mean that's a very complex one to still really know uh, how best to go about that but um, for starting new relationships um, I think also you know in WA here, we've sort of really shifted our focus to the local in such a strong way and um, cementing those relationships and those connections. Uh, and there's, you know, we've, we've gained so much from, from, from that. Um, so, you know, and I see that as a bit of a, like I see that as a moment of where, um, you know, that, that opportunity to be making work locally and uh, the kind of commission and creation of new works locally, local stories and local storytelling and local opportunity um, uh, because we're not sort of trying to be everywhere else as well as there. Um, there's a silver lining, you know. Um, and yeah, so I'm, sorry, I'm putting out a proposition and if there's questions from the audience or... And I just thought perhaps as a, a segue, sort of responding to um, you know the points that both uh, both Tim and Dahlia made, just around the you know that 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 need uh, that need to do the work, um, but also the value that's produced from it, and, and sort of agreeing with Ian, I think uh, you know sort of uh, being able to uh, participate in in the work Tim and you guys produced through that period. Was, was really important for that connection, particularly at that time. Um, and you know, certainly understanding the, you know, the struggles and the frustrations with the, you know, the platforms and the technologies. But the value it produced was, you know, was well and truly you know, worth it. And, and I think you know, coming back to that question around, you know, around value, uh, and, and, and particularly more broadly in terms of public value, is that you know these these platforms and modes are potentially going to keep on changing and moving, um, but I, I I think one one strong sense that this this turned back to you know the focus on 
on the local, and 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 maybe spend, you know sort of a you know stop and and, and you know taking stock and and uh, thinking of what work needs to be next. I think has reinforced that that value, um, and you know where of course we'll continue to support that because that's that's ultimately you know what we're what we're investing in. And it's it's that it's that broader cultural value, which is you know as important as you know some of uh, you know those uh, particular sort of uh, artistic finishes that someone is desperately trying to achieve, or or a production level, um, because it's it's about how we move together as a community around those conversations. Can I ask just a cheeky question then? Um, I totally agree. That I feel like something that has made it through the window thus far um, uh, because of the, the, the embracing of the local. Um, uh, there's, I certainly had uh, previously uh, perhaps a misconception that um, we do a short season in Perth and then you tour the world because you can't sustain a longer season in Perth and that's why we, as a company, as an artist, I hadn't had much of a local focus. That for me is shifting in my mind. Do we notice any stats yet about whether it feels like there's been a shift of, of, of a bit more um, pride in the stuff that we make here and, and, and celebrating that? Um, is that reflected in audiences? Do we know? Uh, Ian, you might be able to talk about some of the responses you just recently had in, in the surveys and the report you just put out. Yes, I mean, certainly a lot, certainly a lot of love for that. I think there's, there's a question inside that whether you then make plans around behaviours right now when people are restricted in their own movement and what that means. Secondly, how sustainable that is in terms of the acceleration and the, the fuel that was poured into moments to get things ready for that last festival and many other presentations beside and the various things that we're accelerating into that. But in terms of audiences, I think the thing is that there is a realisation that things which are produced here are of quality, which is um, not only worth seeing, but get there quick because of, because those tickets do sell out. And so I do think like, that's the behaviour shift I've seen, whether that translates into then people telling more of their friends. So that's the that's the thing that I've seen shift, but I don't know necessarily whether you could then plan about audiences in three years from their behaviour. Question coming from Margaret Pippa, and I'm interested in Dalek's perspective coming from Broome. Um, and I'd love to ask Ian um, about is there ideas about uh, bringing the festival out and the programming out into regional centres that are that are experiencing huge loads of people and people from Perth wanting to leave, um, get out of the city, and they can, and <coughs> coming and wanting experiential um, opportunity things to do, spending a lot of time in outdoor spaces. I'm thinking about things that have been done in Queensland in the past with the music festivals, activating communities, extraordinary stuff gone there that I've read about in the platform papers and met some 
can't remember the name of the artistic director. Brilliant man. Anyway, um, so and the wheat belt and having done a session with Chloe from Meriden uh, earlier last week about projects and having gone out to the wheat belt myself last year and having a project that's going to come back through there. I'm really interested in all these incredible artists and you're all, I'm not saying you all, we all are talking about the limitations of indoor spaces and that we keep coming up against this and that yet there is this huge potential with the way people are moving and what they're wanting once they get out there. Dahlia, I, I hear what you say because we're experiencing it in Margaret River. I mean, we've got a glass studio that is inundated. We are having trouble actually getting our orders done because people want to experience the performance of glass blowing. You know, it, at, I'm just putting that as, a, as an example, but it's like, I'd love to hear if the festival is, has any future planning to try and look at this and the way people are moving and it's changed the way people are moving. That's kind of a comment I'd love to end and I to be able to address from inside Perth and outside. So you didn't appear on there. Um, uh, always inside the aspiration, and there are a series of events. Uh, um, certain elements, sort of historically inside the festival, uh, from Doran and post Doran, early two thousands, there were festivals, the festivals in the Great Southern, and, and uh, aspirations to spread that footprint. Um, for various reasons, that's now uh, all financial, actually. Um, uh, that's now concentrated here in Perth for practical reasons, and then that, that idea that, that we can become big tourism money that asks us to, to attract people from around the state and around the country, and clearly around the country or internationally is more tricky in these contexts. My hope would be that we get to tell stories inside the festival that have started their life on country and inside country and then they can travel to us or vice versa. And that would always, it's, and it would be, a, my understanding is it's a strategic wish of, uh, of the department and of the minister for that to be engaged with. And so it's an active conversation. I always, with apologies, Dahlia, and I adore Broome, but I do remember um, the, uh, the um, boy who was with us just telling me that while I was trying to rehearse with you, um, the corrugation road up there and turning them, turning a very purple, very bright shade of purple, and like trying to get up to Broome in February is is is, is less. Sure, is, no, I mean it seasonally dusty. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's always been. I always sort of discount the Carnarvon North um, just for for my own selfish survival reasons. Um, uh, but certainly it's, uh, there is a series of projects that we're investigating um, and I take artists uh, like Annette Carmichael and how we may be able to investigate um, those projects which uh, come, there's a beautiful project coming out of Bunbury as well uh, that's looking like it's making a journey into the 22 Festival. That's, so there are a series of those things that are 
Is it just a... Sorry, Dali. No, you, you go. Uh, just just a follow-on from Ian's point there, around, particularly around the touring. He's also looking at those, uh, those support mechanisms for that. So, uh, with what you just mentioned, just recently being supported through uh, Playing WA, you know, to do that tour. We've just relaunched getting the shows back on the road, which is particularly focused on, on small independent uh, producers. Um, and, and by its nature, uh, you know, perhaps there's you know, sort of less barriers around uh, sort of production scale uh, and level for getting smaller works out there. And with the relaunch of that, we've also enabled that to go uh, to our metro areas as well. And I think there's uh, over the last you know, sort of 20 years, there's been you know, some really strong investment in, in regional arts uh, touring uh, through venues, uh, but to also include that really critical out of metro venues and spaces has, has been a real aim and uh, it's a real aim of you know, certainly this, this minister as well and ensuring that ongoing access. Um, some of the challenges around that as well, we know that uh, when, when, uh, when COVID hit, uh, a lot of those venues, of course, uh, uh, local government uh, managed and operated um, and a number of them went dark. Um, and that, that, that's a that's an incredibly you know, sort of problematic thing, of course, but a very tricky thing to respond to in terms of um, you know, the funding that's needed and that partnership which, which we sort of, uh, sort of rely on across the three layers of, of government to ensure the working can have that accessibility. But it also it highlighted the fragility which can exist across you know, a network which is needed you know, to connect a tour so that it can actually you know, sort of make its way farther out through the wind belt or up north or, or down through the southwest and the Great Southern. And just the one key venue sort of dropping out of that you know, could be the, the, the difference between its viability or not. So you know, there are considerable things which have made through this period which, um, which you know, continue to need that focus and, and addressing you know, as we go forward. But um, yeah, absolutely, I think you know, the ability to get uh, you know, work of all levels, you know, out, uh, you know, to as, as many of West Australia's, you know, population as possible is a, is a key problem. Yeah, and I think get the artists out there. That's, you know, we've been from residencies and, you know, to, for work to be agile and to be made out there mm -hmm. to, to get, you know, some of the, activating some of the extraordinary minds that are out to do that and see, to present in uh, when those long processes, not yeah. only seed those processes, but also present towards the end of those processes. Yeah, and get into a survey of 
things happen. He's moved out of the chalk and cheese, I, I'm a bit, um, it's a bit different up north here because, uh, you know, knowing our community, I mean, we're in the same state and we don't get down to Perth nearly as much as we'd like to, um, and, or invited down there, so it's like, um, you know, we're in the same state, so we could be, you know, an extension to that idea, um, you know, you've got outreach uh, and collaborative projects that go on north and south or regional and urban and you know all of these things so that, that those things could could happen nothing stopping those from happening but I think you really need to know your community and what exists in it and like for the past say I don't know five nights my cousin and, and a few mates have been playing some music at Matzo's and you cannot get a car park anywhere around the place because people are hungry to come and hear stories through song through spoken word through whatever you, you can offer um, because we all know what it feels like to um, to have to be part of that, to be taken away for a moment somewhere down an old Broome Street talking about, you know, how, um, you know, the oranges were stolen out of <laughs> a particular um, Chinaman's um, little trolley and, you know, through song and all of these kinds, you know, you just escape for a little while. Um, so watching, my, I get quite um, proud of our community because they they take up the challenge, they put it out there, they, they have people, passionate artists, people that are out there trying their best to, to capitalise on that. You, know, you, you want to come and see something, we'll give you something to see. Mm -hmm. But yet we're still waiting for our own shire to, to have a, a, you know, they're only just in the process of making an arts and culture strategy, you know, like that it's, I can't understand that. We have, we're so rich in culture up this way, not just in indigenous cultures, but all kinds of cultures due to the pearling industry. Um, and we still, you know, there are strategies in there. We've got half the town being ripped up to, to make it look even more beautiful, but it's like, for what? For just the tourists? Or is that for us locals too? We need to know our communities and who's in them to, to, to make the things, like Maddie's question earlier, the meaning of what, why we do what we do. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I, I say go for it for down there, you know, go. I think that's a great idea to get um, more of a festival or more of a, you know, and you have to be seasonal, Iggy, you gotta... You gotta <laughs> <do that. laughs> I know that now. <laughs> and the generous sharing. Like I think that we um, really happy we kind of got to this point of um, sort of talking about you know the local into the regional and those connections and relationships with community and I think what you just said then Dahlia about like keep doing what we are doing but do it better. Um, <laughs> do it deeper, you know, like through stronger connections, um, more rigorous practice and more more inclusive. Um, more challenging, more groundbreaking, like all those sorts of things, you know, we can't really hone in um, and keep doing what we're doing, but even 
I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Shall we?